immediately start thinking as she begins to talk, it doesn't take you long, about 3.5 seconds, and you're thinking, I know how to fix this. I know what to do. I know how we can resolve this. I know I can help you. It's fascinating to me that in the garden, in a perfect atmosphere, God looked down at Adam and he said, it's not good that he be alone. Differences are not an excuse for you to do nothing. So Father, this morning as we've gathered in this room, ultimately, we look to you. I pray for those in this room this morning that are Christ followers, that this morning you would speak to our hearts and you would show us exactly what we need to do with what we hear. We're reminded of the words of James who said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. For those in this room that are perhaps not followers of Christ, that are just kind of checking out the claims of Christ and evaluating, man, is, is this something real? Is this something God could use in my life? I pray that in the next few moments, you would speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, as we think about relationships in this series, Relationship Rehab, we're gonna dive into the subject of marriage, but I need to give you a disclaimer. As we talk about marriage, one of the tendencies that we have is if I'm listening and thinking about marriage, it's just sort of natural that I think about what she should do. Or ladies, you're going to think about what he should do. But after all this time, you haven't been able to change him yet. And so I want to encourage you as we roll through this, and you haven't been able to change her yet, to think about you, to think about what it means for you and what you need to do in your life. The other thing I would say is, if you don't know me, there might be a tendency to think, well, you're a pastor, you've read a couple of books, you're gonna give us some stuff about marriage, but you have no idea. I want to assure you, I have an idea. I'm just a guy, just like you, and I lived through the same ups and downs, the same struggles. Angie and I were at the brink of divorce. In fact, we had filed for divorce at one point, and God restored our marriage. He did something really miraculous over a few months. So I understand the ups and downs. And another thing I want to say is, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've walked through a divorce, Hey, please understand, I understand that while I've been through ups and downs and I've been through some challenging things, I understand that I don't fully understand. All of the pain that you've absorbed, all that you've wrestled with, all that you've been through, but I want you to know something. You, if you've walked through a divorce, you are not a second-class citizen. The rest of your life is not over. It's not that you're going to have to settle for less than now. You are just as valuable and special to God and to us as anybody else in this room. So I'm thrilled you're here this morning. And really, I also want to say to those of you that are, that are not married, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're an adult and you're single or single again, if you're not married, what we're going to talk about this morning works in any and every relationship. We're applying it to marriage, but there's a lot I think we can glean from this morning as we talk about relationships. Genesis chapter 2, we were there last week as we began this series. We talked about dating last week. Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, Then the Lord God made a woman. 
from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought, it, he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It's fascinating to me that in the garden, in a perfect atmosphere, God looked down at Adam and he said, it's not good that he be alone. I need to make someone else for him to have a relationship with. And it's interesting to me that in a perfect atmosphere, in a perfect garden, before sin had entered the world, that God made somebody very different. God did not make just another Adam. He made somebody different. What that means is our differences are on purpose. You and I, men and women, are created differently on purpose. And I think you already know this, but I want to show you this. This is an emotional scale, the scale of emotions that we go through in life. And the top scale is women and the bottom scale is men. And ladies, ladies notice men are laughing, but I am not. But ladies, here's what we know. You are far more emotionally intelligent than men are. Now, you already know this, but but you have an ability to uniquely feel a variety of emotions from happy to fantastic, wonderful, amazing, terrific, great, good, fine, not okay, annoyed, frustrated, upset, angry, sad, lonely, and really, really sad and lonely. You can feel all of that. Guys basically have one primary gear, fine. Hey, man, how you doing? Fine. And when we say fine, we really mean all of this. We really mean the whole thing. We just don't feel it at the level that you feel it. But our differences are on purpose. And so for a guy, fine really ranges in the category all across here to here. So, ma'am, he said, hey, why don't we go out Friday night? And you said, that sounds awesome. And Friday night came, and you got ready for the date, and as you were getting ready, you came out, and you said to him, how do I look? And he said, fine. And when he said, fine, listen, we have to understand the differences to be able to trust the heart. When he said, fine, what he meant was, fine, wonderful, awesome, but he said, fine. Sir, when you said, fine, she heard, fine. And so she said, how do I look? And you said, fine. And she threw up her arms, and maybe you hadn't been married that long, and she said, I can't ever make you happy, and turned around and walked out to go change clothes. You said, fine, because it's time to go. You're fine. It looks fine. Let's go. Let's go. It's fine. You're fine. You had no complaints, but you said, fine. She heard, fine, because we're made differently, and our differences are on purpose. And so once you and I begin to understand this, it it changes how we view each other. You asked him that one time, hey, how you doing? And he said, fine. And then a few moments later in the conversation, you have no idea why or how this happened. All of a sudden, he's angry. When he said, fine, he was over here. He was only one step away from going here. And so when he said, fine, he wasn't lying to you. He wasn't making this up. He wasn't just not acknowledging what you were saying and not paying attention It's just the way men are wired, it's all right here in fine. And and fine can be over here, where it's really wonderful and fantastic and amazing, or fine can be over here, angry, upset, sad. And one step, he goes all the way to not fine. So it's important that we understand 
we're made differently. We're wired differently. And so God knew that and God created us that way. Even our minds are different. Our brains are different in how we function and how we process thoughts. This, for example, is the brain of a lady. This is the brain of a guy. Now, the brain of a lady, I want to be really, really careful right here. You function, you function at a very high capacity. Your brain is something like a studio apartment. It's way better than that, but you have the ability in your life and how you function. You're at a higher capacity than men are. You have the ability where all of these things are connected and woven together, and you can be functioning in all of these areas all at the same time. You can process things in an unbelievable way and you can recognize patterns and you have discernment or some people call it women's intuition. And so you recognize all that, you see all of that. Men are very, very different. Men, it's like an apartment with rooms. And so men tend to be somewhat fragmented. We, we can't function at the capacity you can, but we have the ability to laser focus in a certain area. Now let me say this too. I'm speaking in generalities. Of course there are exceptions, but most of the time this is true. And so for men, we laser focus in a certain area. We also have something that women don't have uh, other than that. We, we have something that women don't have. We have a hallway, and what's in the hall? Nothing. Men have this, and it's because the energy that it takes us emotionally to focus the way men focus often, it takes everything out of us. This is why, at the end of the day, he comes in from work, and you ask him, how's your day? And he said, fine. And you want to know more, so you're having a conversation Right now, you're in the workroom, and you're having this conversation, and, and so he tells you about his day, and you say to him, hey, well, when your boss said that, what, what did you think about it? And he pauses. He says, it's okay, I was, I was fine. And you're thinking, there's no way. He paused. He's hiding something. I don't know what he's not telling me about this conversation. You're about to be unemployed. We're about to lose everything. He's not lying to you. Y'all were up in the workroom having a conversation and you went to emotions. So he had to walk out of the room, down the hall, open the door, and go into the emotional room. Because men function in a fragmented way. This is critically important to understand. Because if we don't understand that we're created different on purpose, if I don't understand that, I can't trust your heart. And if I can't trust your heart, I assume the worst. When you pause, you're hiding something. When you pause, you're lying. When you say it's fine, it doesn't mean fine. If I don't understand the differences, I can't trust your heart, so I assume the worst. And that's where marriages begin to get damaged. Now, guys, I need to let you know one thing. Men, I want to talk to the men just for a second. Differences are not excuses. 
But babe, you heard the pastor say today, we're just different, just how it is. <laughs> no, differences are not an excuse for you to do nothing. Because you can improve, you can get better, you can be sensitive to, to how she's functioning, and you can recognize the profound benefit of having a spouse that is able to function at such a high capacity and pay attention to that. Because, sir, what we tend to do, you start dating and you add her into your life, you get married and you add her into your life, what we tend to do is we just add another room her. And the challenge is you need to be able to bring, and, and this takes intentionality, you have to be able to bring her into every area of your life. She does not want to be fragmented. She does not want to be a separate part. She wants to be a part of your entire life. And so it requires intentionality. So you have to do certain things like maybe set reminders in your phone to let her know even when you're at work, you're thinking about her. If you don't, you'll come in at the end of the day and she'll say to you something like, I thought about you today. Do you think about me? Uh, yeah. She has the ability, because she's doing all of this at the same time, to think about you. Hopefully most of those thoughts are good, but but. You have to be intentional because you're, you're not as gifted emotionally. You can't do all of that. And, and so, ladies, it's, it's important for you to understand when he is so focused or, or he seems to be absent mentally, maybe he's in the hallway. This is, why, this is why maybe he was doing yard work for a couple of hours and he came in and you said, hey, what were you thinking about while you were doing yard work? And he goes, nothing. He's not lying to you. He was literally thinking about nothing. Now, you can't fathom that. You've not had a moment where you thought about nothing. It's absolutely impossible. You're thinking about everything all at once and processing all of that. He has the ability to completely zone out. It's important for you to remember that, ladies, because probably right now some men, they're not even here. They're in the workroom. They're not even with us. So you've got to kind of listen for him a little bit, and I know it's unfair, but it is the way it is. Guys, guys, though, join us, join us. Guys, when you bring her into your life, you need to bring her into all of your life. So you set a reminder in your phone, and maybe you set up reminders throughout the week. Hey, Monday at 2 o'clock, I, I need to be sure and text her. Because that reminder, it, it's not fake. When you see the reminder, what are you going to do? Think about her. You need to be intentional about this or it won't happen because one of the greatest mistakes men make in relationships is to assume everything's okay. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with a couple whose marriage is in trouble and the guy says, I had no idea it was this bad. Because you're so stuck in certain rooms or things you're processing that you only think about her if it's a crisis or, or, or if it's dark 30. You've got to be able to bring her. So you need to shoot her a text. Hey, I was just thinking about you. I love you. You need to send her a picture of something you saw that reminds you of her. Not the car that you want to buy, but something that, that she's thinking about. You need to pay attention. Because if we don't understand the differences, then we'll never trust the heart. And if you don't have trust, you don't have anything.
But once we understand that we're made different and it's on purpose, you, you take a lady who loves Jesus and is able to function at such a high capacity emotionally and a guy who has the ability to laser focus, and sometimes he needs a break, but he's able to do that and laser focus. You take these two people functioning in a healthy way, putting each other first in a marriage, you will not only have an incredible marriage, you will raise emotionally healthy children. Because some of you are going to have sons and some of you are going to have daughters, and it's very important to understand that God made us different on purpose, and it is a strength. It adds to the relationship. It doesn't take away. Men wear this sort of armor throughout the day. We want everybody to think we're strong and nothing bothers us and we can take on the world and we're okay, except when we get a hole in that armor and it hurts. That's the only time we'll ask for help is if it hurts bad enough. But for a guy, it has to get pretty bad and he has to hurt on a pretty deep level before he'll ask for help because somehow, in some whacked out sort of way, we were taught and we believe that asking for help is a weakness when in reality, it's one of the wisest things you can do. But if there's a hole in the armor, we feel it. Guys keep up a facade. Ladies, ladies feel connected emotionally. They feel connected in a deep way by being vulnerable, by sharing vulnerabilities. That's why if you listen to two ladies talking, be careful if you do that. They don't like it if they know you're doing that. But if you listen to two ladies talking, the deeper and more vulnerable the conversation, the closer they are. If it's just shallow, they're not very close. But ladies share vulnerabilities. So, sir, at the end of a long day, when the two of you sit down together and you've put the kids to bed and you're talking, she wants to connect with her best friend. She wants to be vulnerable. So she opens herself up and she begins sharing with you on a certain level about something she's struggling with or something she has to make a decision on or something she's processing or something she's unhappy with. She's trying to connect with her best friend. She does that by being emotionally vulnerable. You immediately start thinking as she begins to talk, it doesn't take you long, about 3.5 seconds and you're thinking, I know how to fix this. I know what to do. I know how we can resolve this. I know I can help you. And so you wait for her, you stop listening because you've already decided how to fix it. You wait for her to stop talking. When the mouth stops moving, she's ended what she's saying or she's taking a breath. You jump in and say, I know what you need to do. And she throws up her hands and says, you never listen to me. You just don't change. And she turns and walks out of the room. And you're thinking, well, I, I had the solution. I could fix this. Now, ladies, here's what you need to understand about men. He's not trying to discount what you're saying. He's not trying to disregard what you're sharing with him. He's not trying to go, not uh, trying to avoid going to an emotional place. He knows what it is to have a hole in his armor, and that's how he views what you're walking through. And he knows the pain that's created when there's a hole in his armor. And he, because he loves you, does not want you to feel that pain. And so he's trying to help resolve it, usually out of a motivation of love, because he doesn't want you to ever feel that kind of pain. See, if I don't understand the differences, I don't trust the heart and I assume the worst. The differences are not excuses to continue to behave how we've always behaved. The differences are on purpose so we can learn about each other and we can grow. So, so men, let, let me give you a tip, a tip for men. You might want to write this down or take a picture. When she's having that conversation, you ask the question, is this a listening scenario or do you want me to help solve the problem? 
It will help you to ask the question that she might be mildly annoyed when you ask that question, but it's going to be far better than what happens in about 10 minutes if you don't. So go ahead and ask the question. You should take a picture of that. That's worth at least $1,000 because if you don't do this, that's what it's going to cost you in counseling or it'll cost far more in divorce court. So you might want to pay attention. You need to go ahead. And ladies, when we ask this question, just recognize we're not as emotionally intelligent as you are. We're somewhat stupid. We can function in one room at a time primarily. Some can multitask, but men always think they can multitask better than they actually can, and you know that. And so when he asks this question, understand it is a stride in his step to try to come towards you and try to be who you need him to be. Now, now ladies, could I, could I give you a tip if, if, if that's okay? I'll tread lightly here. It might be helpful. If, if after today even he doesn't start doing this and asking that question, it might be helpful. You might have to go the extra mile and say, hey, I want to talk to you. I need you to just listen. Or I'd like your help. Sir, most of the time she's going to want you to just listen, to try to, try to understand what she's walking through. When she says, hey, I need you to listen, or you ask the question, and she says, I just want you to listen and let me share You need to lock eyes with her, pay attention, be fully engaged, and do everything you can, even though you can't fully, do everything you can to understand how she must feel expressing what she's expressing and going through what she's going through. Try to connect with her on an emotional level. But ladies, I just need you to listen to me. Or I'd like your help because guys, every now and then she'll toss you a bone and say, hey, could you help me with this one? And you're going to love it. Oh, 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 I have the answer. I know what we should do. Ma'am, he may be wrong, but just, just toss that to him now and then because he's going to need that. He feels like he can check off something in his room that he did to help you remove the hole in your armor and maybe you won't hurt anymore. It's coming from a good place. So men, be intentional this week. Your next step is, if you're married, bring your spouse into every room. Now, you don't have a problem with the bedroom. You got that one down. Maybe the kitchen, too. I don't know how you roll. But, but you, you've got those down. That's okay. But, but you need to try to bring her and think about her when you're at work, when you're around family, when you're around your friends. Don't leave her separated off in a different room that you'll get to when you need something. Because loving her is bringing her into every room. Women, your next step, don't do hints. Stop it. When you do that thing because you function like this and you've got to remember we're created differently, we're created differently on purpose by God. So you've got to remember, don't do that thing where you look at him and you say, if you can't figure it out, I'm not telling you. We don't know what to do with that. That's like kryptonite. We can't function like this. This makes us dizzy. We don't know how to do this. We can improve, we can get better, we can grow. We cannot read your mind. Pretend we are in remedial relationship. We need your help. Give it to us straight. One of the things I love about Angie is she, she, she doesn't do hints very often. She will straight up tell me, hey, here's the deal. And I love that because when I know and I understand because I love you, then I can try to work on that. Genesis chapter 2, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And God's idea of marriage is, is not just physical. This is much deeper than physically becoming one flesh. This is on an emotional level becoming one. 
This is becoming connected as one. This is on an intellectual engaging. One of you is smarter than the other, but trying to engage on an intellectual level. This is bringing each other in to your life throughout every area of your life as much as is humanly possible, becoming one. Now, sir, this verse says, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Sir, you will never have a great marriage if you don't leave mommy. When you get married, your wife becomes number, I I know mommy's precious, I know mommy's special. You wouldn't be here without her. I get it. Honor her, love her. But the number one lady in your life, if you want a great relationship, becomes your wife. It is not a competition. God has already settled it. Leave mom, join with wife. She's number one. If you want a great marriage, it's essential. But sometimes we ask the question, how, how did we even get here? I can't tell you the number of times I've, I've talked to couples and, and one of them usually is like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how we got here. I mean, I, I thought things were okay. I want to give you four gauges. They're like the gauges on the dashboard of a car where you can kind of read what's going on with the engine and with the internal workings. And, and, and you need to pay attention to the gauges because there's a guy named Dr. John Gottman that wrote one of the best books about marriage I've ever read. It talks about how to make marriage last. And he talks about four alarms or four gauges that if these are going off, you're in trouble. And the four gauges I'm going to give you, if three out of the four are present in your marriage, if you don't change anything, you have a 91% chance of divorcing. Four gauges. The first one is criticism. Criticism is dangerous. Criticism is different than complaining. Complaints are valid. And when two people get married and live together and are doing life together, you're going to have complaints. They're going to be things that you have to work through, talk through. Complaints are okay. Criticism is not. Criticism is when complaints go personal. So you say, hey, you, you left your underwear on the floor again. I've asked you a thousand times not to leave your underwear on the floor. I keep having to ask you. I don't understand what it is about you. Can you please get your underwear off the floor? You, you must just be somewhat ignorant. I can't believe you do this over and over again. How many times do we have to have this conversation? Can you get your underwear off the floor? And she says, okay. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Ladies, as men, we don't mind if you leave your underwear on the floor. It's fine. We, we don't care. You can leave your underwear anywhere you want. It's, you can leave them in the kitchen. We don't care. Wherever you want to leave them. Parents, C3 kids. C3 kids is where your children need to be. <laughs> but criticism, is, it, it, it's when a complaint goes personal. Ma'am, you say to him, How come you can't take out the trash? I have asked you 8,000 times to take out the trash. Every other able-bodied man on this street seems to be able to get the trash cans and take them to the edge of the road. I must have just married the number one moron God ever created because you seem to lack the ability to do what other men do. They get up and take out the trash, and some of them look pretty good doing it. I wish you could just take out the trash and not be such an idiot. That's when a complaint, a valid complaint, becomes criticism. And the danger with being critical Functioning in criticism towards your spouse will lead you to become a critical person and it will move beyond the relationship of your marriage and you will begin to view things in a negative way and become critical with everyone and the people that love you the most won't like being around you. 
So if you've developed a critical spirit, it's not the fault of who you're married to. You took yourself there. You chose to think a certain way. When we understand the differences, ma'am, 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 he's going to need some help. Sir, there comes a point in life when the little boy sits down and the grown man stands up and you begin to take responsibility. And to do that, it means you have to love someone else more than you love yourself and put their needs first and be willing to grow even emotionally to begin to understand how she's wired. And even though you don't understand it all, you begin to grow and try to keep this in mind. Because when we understand that we are created differently on purpose, we can then trust each other's heart. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, it's been called the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. This is huge. Because you choose and I choose what we focus on. And you forget the breakfast that she made you, and you forget the flowers that he brought home that day. And we, we tend to forget and overlook those and take them for granted. And when you, when you keep a record of wrongs, they begin to stack up. And God says, that is not love. If you want a healthy marriage, you cannot throw the resume of failure in your spouse's face all the time. You have to be able to let some things go. You have to be able to forgive. You have to love at a level the way God loves us. That's why he, he compares this whole thing and his relationship with us with marriage. You have to love at a level that you're the one person on planet Earth that will let your spouse off the hook. So I have a question. Sir, ma'am, and this works in marriage, but it also works in parenting. It works in friendships, relationships. With the words you speak, do you spend more time building up or tearing down your spouse? Have you become overly critical? Because it takes focus and intentionality to remember all the things he's done wrong and all the things she's done wrong and continue to throw them in their face. You could spend the same energy focusing on the things he's done right and the things she's done right. The words that come out of your mouth to your spouse. Are you tearing them down or building them up? Because if you're tearing them down, you're tearing the relationship down. If you're building them up, you're building the relationship up. Four gauges of trouble. The first one's criticism. The second one is contempt. Contempt is when criticism goes to the place that not only am I critical of you, I don't like you. When you start to talk, I roll my eyes. I don't like being around you. When you walk in the room, my demeanor changes. Because for so long, I've lived in a critical way that I've gotten to this place of being contempt where I just, I just don't, there's so many things about you that annoy me and bother me. And if you feel that way about your spouse, no matter what they do, you took yourself there. Only you can choose to think like this and function like this. Now, they may be horrible. You may have married the worst person in the world. You, you might could walk on the platform and tell your sad story and everybody would agree with you. But how has focusing on how bad your spouse is and how much they annoy you and building that up inside you, how's that working for you? You're putting poison in your veins when you function like that because you just can't stand certain things about them. 
And so you go to bed at night and you get in the beds and ma'am, maybe you're being very dramatic and you're jerking the covers up and you're getting in place and you're letting him know by, you're, you're not talking to him, you're not talking, you're just letting him know. And after a couple of moments, you hear him snoring. How does he go to sleep when you're that upset with him? So being that upset with him is obviously not motivating him to change anything. It's not damaging him. He's sleeping fine. You're messing yourself up. Or sir, you go to bed and you just can't stand it. She's in, you just, you just, you're sitting there, you're trying to keep it in, but guys, we can't keep it in very long. We're going to explode because we go from, from fine to angry pretty quickly. It's the next step. And so you decide you're going to say something and you just kind of say something to her and she doesn't respond. She's asleep. Because the turmoil that's inside you, eventually the other person kind of turns that off. If you're upset all the time, if you're complaining all the time, if, you, if your complaints turn to criticism and then you move to an area of contempt, your spouse will begin, when you say things to them, they will begin to consider the source. And the source is always negative, so why bother? The Bible says in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. That means there's a way to be angry and not sin. It means you and I are going to be angry in life, but there's a way to do it and not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Because if you go to bed mad, you're probably going to wake up mad. And then you're going to go to bed mad the next night. And then you're going to wake up mad the next day. And it's a never-ending cycle. And you're the only one that can take you off that roller coaster. And do not give the devil a foothold. Because he knows that when you function like this, he's gotten a step into the marriage. Four gauges, criticism, contempt, defensiveness. Defensiveness is the third. Defensiveness is when in an argument you just try to defend yourself. When we defend ourselves, have you ever noticed someone defending themselves and the argument's raging and you throw out a bunch of stuff defending yourself and the other person goes, oh, okay, I understand, you're right. That doesn't happen. And the fourth one, the fourth one, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, the fourth one, fourth one is stonewalling. If you've gotten to the place where when you discuss things or argue, one person or the other, the husband or the wife, just sort of looks at a spot on the floor and nobody's home. They don't engage. When you've gotten to that point, you're in trouble. It's not just who they are. It's not just how they function. You're in trouble. So if three out of these four are happening in your marriage, you have a 91% chance of divorcing unless you do something. So what do I do? The, the one thing that will instantly improve a marriage or any relationship Change who's in first place. Change who's in first place. Now, this is not going to be easy. It might be one of the most difficult things you do, but it's the picture of love, and it's what we find in Ephesians chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The other person comes first. Now, when you're in that kind of relationship, and, sir, you're doing everything you can to put her first. When you, when you get home from work and she gets home from her day and you've both had a long day and you're both tired and you think, okay, about this time, it's toward the evening, it's after dinner, you know, Whoever, it's a night that, if it's a night that she cooked a meal, you know what? I should do the dishes. She shouldn't have to do that as well. And about this time in the evening after dinner, she normally takes a bath. I'm going to go run the bath for her. And she likes, she likes this book to read. I'm going to go ahead and put that in there by the tub, and I'm going to get that set up. When you're thinking of her like that, and ma'am, you're thinking, you know, he's probably had a long day too, and he'd probably like a hot cup of tea or whatever his thing is, and I'm going to think about him, and I'm going to do this. When both people are functioning like that, both people win. This is how it works. But if you're thinking, I won't, if they don't, 
It's a recipe for disaster. It's called selfishness. See, you get to decide. You can pour as much energy into being angry and upset and unhappy, or you can pour it into being happy and fulfilled. But it won't be about what they do for you. It'll be about how you serve them. Because Ephesians chapter 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're supposed to submit to each other to put the other one first. So, so let me give you a marriage secret. This is a secret. Not many people know this. It's a secret. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it to yourself. I think it might help you. The key to marriage is not as much who we marry, but how we do marriage. Think about this just for a second. When the Bible was written, it was in a culture and a time when most marriages were arranged. People didn't see somebody across the room and say, hey, hey, hey. Mom and dad picked out the spouse ahead of time. It was arranged. And God said, even in those cases, there's a way to have a great marriage. So the key is not as much who. Now, in our culture, we get to pick who, and it is very, very important. But the key is not as much who we marry, but how we do marriage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So your next step this week, how are you doing marriage? The words you speak and the attitudes you share with your spouse, are they helping build up or tear down? And the one thing you gotta do, change who's in first place. If it's not going well, change who's in first place. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. I pray for every person in this room, and God, I pray that this week as we walk through our lives, we would put other people first, especially in our marriages. That we would understand that we're created differently on purpose because when we understand that, we can trust the other person's heart. Maybe you're here this morning, heads about, eyes are closed, and you know that the greatest need in your life is to become a follower of Christ. I want to encourage you this morning to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of this moment, but if you'd like to commit your life to, to Christ, because it will take Jesus inside you to create the best husband, the best wife. You can't be all God created you to be without knowing Jesus. So if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. In Christ's name, amen.